All right. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll be looking at First Corinthians again tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, um, we pray, Lord, uh, as we uh, as we gather are gathered here tonight for this study that you grant. Lord, that we may understand. Please, God, uh, guide us through these passages. Please open our our minds again to understand and open our hearts to receive your truth. And we pray, Lord, that um, through it all, you are honored and glorified as we, by your grace, as we live these things out in our lives. Again, we thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for blessing us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hang on one second. I may have a... Let me see if I have a... Is there a battery back there? By the 9-volt battery? Yeah, bring that. This might be good, Dan. Let's see real quick. I don't know, but I couldn't get her to do it either. I don't know if it's just No, I'm not testing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's on now if you turn it back up. Okay, First Corinthians 14. Pardon? I don't know. You, you can turn the uh, monitors off, though. Reach it, look all the way to your right where the master is, auxiliary one. Just turn that down to zero. So that's... Got it? Okay. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Um, just start reading where we left off this morning in verse 13. And uh, really, we've got the same, same theme in mind here because this is Paul's he's continuing the same thought here. Um, and again, we, we, we're not going to cover all of this in detail tonight. I'm going to go ahead and read through the end of the chapter and, uh, and try to give uh, kind of a, uh, a brief overview of the rest of this because as some of it we, we did discuss this morning. And then I, um, I hope, hopefully, we'll have a little bit of time left in case you have um, some questions um, before we partake of the Lord's Supper. But we'll see how it goes here. <clears throat> Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing praises with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, 
in the church, that is in the assembly or congregation, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole congregation or church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters... He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it, From you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not um, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right, so again here, um, Paul is giving instruction concerning the, the use of uh, the gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit in the assembly, in the congregation. That is just like we are right now in, in public worship. And again, it's with this, this background of what we talked about this morning, um, this exhortation to pursue love, to pursue the edification of the whole body, not just ourselves, but the whole body. So again, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And as we talked about this morning, uh, you, you work through that and you see that the reason Paul prefers prophecy is because all of the body is edified as a result of prophecy. So that's what he has in mind. That's what he has in view. The edification of the whole congregation. So he's saying pursue love through 
the edification of the whole body. In other words, love, love the whole body. This is what the Corinthians weren't doing, right? They had, there were divisions among them. When they would come together to take the Lord's Supper, they were divided. You know, they had some, some getting drunk and, and, uh, and full, stuffing themselves while other, others were literally going hungry. Um, just all manner of, of, uh, of, frankly, strange things going on and, and evil things, sexual immorality and so forth. So, so Paul is saying, love, love one another. Love one another and, and pursue the edification of one another. So pursue love in edification or through edification in the manifestation of the Spirit. That is the, the spiritual gifts. That is why Paul is saying the manifestations of the Spirit are given for the good of the whole body. Alright. Now, verse 13 where we picked up tonight. It says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Now, we talked about um, the, the, this particular manifestation of the Spirit this morning and some last Sunday. And verse 2 gives you a description of uh, this particular gift that Paul is referring to. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So Paul says when someone is, is um, operating in this particular manifestation of the Spirit... He's, he's speaking, or he or she is speaking uh, a language that nobody understands. Now, as, as we said this morning, that's why he, he prefers in the, in the congregation, he prefers prophecy, the pursuit of prophecy, um, because everybody understands that and everybody's edified. So now he says in verse 13, if one speaks in a tongue, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. And he's going to go on to say that this is, in fact, necessary uh, in order to, to, uh, to speak in tongues at all in the, con- in the, the gathering, the congregation, the assembly. Um, because, again, that's, that is vital for, for the edification of the whole body. So, so he says, if, if it's going to be done, pray for the power, the ability to interpret. Verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but um, my mind is unfruitful. Now, he's giving some more description, just like verse 2. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind, the, the term there literally is, is mind, noose. And I think um, uh, I like the translation understanding, because I think that's what he's talking about here. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So I pray with my spirit, but I don't understand, Paul says. What am I to do? Verse 15. Well, he has an answer. I'll do both, is what he says. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also, or with the understanding. I will pray with my, with, with my spirit, but I will pray with my understanding also. I will pray with, uh, praise with my spirit, but I will... Sing with my understanding also. So Paul says, I will pray with my spirit and with the understanding. Because when my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. So notice, even here, um, even here for his for his self, he 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 seeks to understand. I mean, there, there's got to be some understanding in order to benefit uh, fully. Let's say it that way. So verse 16. 
Otherwise, if you give thanks, again, he's talking about in the assembly, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So again, if you're, if you're speaking in an unknown tongue, uh, this, this particular manifestation of the spirit, and nobody understands, how will they amen what you have said. Now, I've got to admit, most of the time that I've read this, if not always, I just uh, that word amen there, I just thought in terms of agreement. Um, in other words, how can somebody uh, agree? The, the, the word amen basically means so be it. And if you pray with the Spirit, how, how can somebody um, agree if they don't understand? And that's true enough, but it's also true, and I was uh, reading a uh, commentator earlier that mentioned this, and it, you know, thought, yeah, that's right. I wasn't even thinking that way. But it's also true that they they did um, responsive reading. I mean, that was that was common practice. Um, so they would say things, you know, and then the, the congregation say, "Amen, Amen." We say, um, and so that, that's probably what he has in view. But either way, his his point is, how can they do that? That is, how can the others do that if they don't even know what you're saying? Understanding is critical. Understanding is critical. So, he says, uh, goes on to say in verse 17, For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And remember, that's the goal in the congregation, in the assembly. Paul is saying, essentially, your, your, the manifestation of the Spirit that you are experiencing may be perfectly legitimate and you may be giving thanks well enough or you give us thanks well. You're, 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 you are um, effectively giving thanks to God. But the other person is not built up because they do not understand. So he says in verse 18, Sets himself uh, here as an example. I thank God that I speak tongues, speak in tongues more than all of you. And I mentioned several times, you know, as we've been going through here, um, Paul is not discounting this manifestation of the Spirit. And I, I think this is another strong evidence of that here. Um, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul says. And, and, and that's quite a statement, too, by the way. Um, if they were as active in the manifestations of the Spirit as they seem to be by Paul's account here, and yet he says, you know, I speak in tongues more than you all do, more than all of you. So by their standard, if that's what makes you spiritual, Paul is saying, I'm more spiritual than any of you by your standard. Yet he's going to say, even though that's the case, that this, this, you know, the Holy Spirit manifests this gift in me more than, it does, more than He does in any of you, even though that's the case, I, I would not do it in the assembly, Paul says. It's, it's genuine, it's real, but he says, nevertheless, verse 19, in church, that is in the assembly or the congregation, I would rather speak Five words with my mind, or again, with the understanding, in order to instruct others, 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because nobody understands. what They can't benefit if what is being said, what is being spoken, is not understood. So Paul says, give me a chance to exercise that gift. <laughs> and I'd rather spend my time speaking five words that everybody can understand than to take that opportunity to exercise that gift and speak 10,000 words that nobody understands. For them, that's pretty strong. And and, uh, I think it's pretty strong uh, for a lot of circles in our day as well. It seems to me it gets ignored a lot. But but that's that's the right standard. It's not, not just display, not just operating in the gift, not just displaying the gift. The right standard is, does it edify? Are others being benefited? Are others being helped? And that's what Paul is seeking here. And that's what he's uh, exhorting the Corinthians to seek as well. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking or in your understanding. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And I've always... That statement's always... Uh, it was just convicting. But I, I, I think... Um, what he's saying here is... Look, you know, they've got these divisions going on and I'm better than you and the guy that I like to hear is better than the guy that you like to hear and so forth. And, and Paul is saying, look, put, put all that aside. You, you, can, be, you can be infants in, in, uh, in evil and, and babies can do some mean things, but it, 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 they don't hold grudges. <laughs> it goes away quickly, doesn't it? It doesn't last. That seems to be kind of the implication here. Just, just you want to be an infant, you want to be immature. Be that way in regard to evil things, you know, so that, so that you just let go of it quickly and forget about it. But be mature in your understanding, in your thinking, and that's what he's encouraging them to do all the way through here. And I, he he hints at that too back in um, chapter thirteen, um, verse. 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So Paul is, is telling the Corinthians it's, it's time to be mature and act in love. Pursue love. Pursue the edification of the whole body. If they're... Um, let me back up here. Jumped ahead of myself. Verse 21. In the law it is written, <clears throat> By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are for a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. Follow this closely now because it's difficult. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This, this part here 
<laughs> has troubled me for a long, 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 long time. Why? Well, look at verse um, 21 again. First, here Paul quotes from, I, it's, it's a very loose quote, it's not verbatim, but a very loose quote from Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So there's the quote. And in, in Isaiah, Isaiah is making this prophecy as a, as a judgment because the people won't hear God. They won't hear Isaiah's prophecy or the prophecy of, of the other legitimate prophets. They continue to rebel and reject God. So God says... Um, there are going to be foreigners who speak to them in a foreign language. That's a sign of judgment. In other words, what he's saying is, is indicative of an, of an invasion. He's talking specifically about the Assyrians. It's, it's somewhat like I alluded to this morning. I mean, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of going through a, a sort of an invasion. It's just a long, long, gradual one in our country. You know, as people move in, and the culture changes, right? Which, that happens everywhere. Nobody, no, no place is exempt from that. People move in different cultures, different languages, and, and gradually the culture changes. But here he's talking about uh, an attack, an overthrow, and suddenly you're under the domination of a, for, of a foreign nation, the Assyrians. So they're going to be speaking to you in foreign tongues. It's a sign of judgment. Now, Paul takes that prophecy... And in such, here is part of his argument and explanation to the Corinthians. And he says in verse 22, Thus, tongues are a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. So, tongues are a sign. Just like languages, tongues were a sign for the ancient Israelites. Sign of judgment. Because they would not heed God's Word, they were overrun by their enemies and these foreign languages that all of a sudden filled their ears was a sign of God's judgment. So it was, it was a negative sign. Now Paul says, thus, tongues are for a sign. That is languages. Languages that cannot be understood. This manifestation of the Spirit that cannot be understood and therefore is of no benefit in the congregation, in the, in the, the assembly, Tongues are for a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. And he, and he plays that out in verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? I mean, in other words, they're not going to suddenly fall down and say, oh, this is God, you know, and we, we've been missing it. No, they're going to say, you're crazy. These people are nuts. It's, it's a negative sign to them. So, again, back to verse 22. Tongues are for a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy, on the other hand, Paul is saying, prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. And he's, he's already talked about how prophecy encourages, it comforts, that's verse 3, 
And it, and it builds up. One who prophesies, verse 3, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding or edification and encouragement and comfort or consolation. So prophecy is a sign for believers. And then he goes on to, de- to describe some experiences here in verse 23 that seem to, on the surface, contradict exactly what he just said. That's why I said this has been a problem for me for a long, long time. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy passage. Look at it closely. Tongues are for unbelievers. Not for believers, verse 22 says. That is, it's a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. Verse 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? All right. So, of course, one way I used to think of this is that he meant tongues were a positive sign for unbelievers. And so now you've got the unbelievers coming in and they think everybody's crazy. And I'm thinking, how do you reconcile those two things? You know, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And yet, when the unbeliever shows up and hears tongues, they, they think everybody's mad. Well, <clears throat> the, the Isaiah passage is not referring to it as a positive sign. It's a negative sign. It's a negative sign for unbelievers. So, the gift of languages, tongues, that that manifestation of the Spirit, a negative sign for, not for believers, but for unbelievers. And so, verse 23, if if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? That's not going to be a positive sign for them. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. Now, he said in verse 22, tongues are for a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. But then in verse 24, he talks about unbelievers being exposed to prophecy. What I'm, so, I mean, so it gets real, real complicated, real confusing here. You think, wait a minute. doesn't sound like what he was saying in verse 22. What, he, what he's saying in verse, uh, in verse 23, rather, I think I said verse 24, but verse 23, yeah, verse 23 and 24, and he's, he's giving examples of um, the effect on unbelievers. In verse 22, he says, just simply, tongues are for a sign to unbelievers, prophecy or sign for our believers. But now he's giving the effect of both of those manifestations of the Spirit on unbelievers. Not, not unbelievers and believers in verses 23 and 24. So, the gift of tongues, they think you're crazy. Prophecy, however, verse 24, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So, I mean, there's, there's a, probably a salvation experience. There's at least an acknowledgement that, yes, God is among you because these people are, um, are, are convicted by the truth that is being declared. Prophecy 
Truth is being communicated in the common language. It is understood. So unbelievers come in, they're affected by it. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. He's brought or called into account by all. So falling on his face, he will worship God. Uh, he will worship and declare that God is really among you. All right, so hopefully that makes sense. In verse 22, he's dealing with both manifestations of the Spirit and applying them to believers and unbelievers. Verses 23 and 24, both manifestations of the Spirit, but he's only talking about their, uh, their effect on unbelievers. And that is what we're seeking, by the way. Just like uh, in the assembly, we're seeking the edification of the church. In terms of unbelievers, um, our, our goal is not to make them think that we're all crazy. Our goal is to bring them into conviction and for them to see the reality that God is among us. So, he says in verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any, if any speaks in a tongue, let there be... And he's giving some uh, guidelines here for public worship, what, what we're doing right now, the, the gathering, the assembly. If any speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, in the assembly, and speak to himself and to God. So he rules it out. The gift of tongues, the gift of languages, he rules it out in the public assembly unless there's an interpreter so that everybody can understand and everybody can benefit. Now, what about prophecy? Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now, last Sunday, and I mentioned it again this morning, um, the definition I gave for prophecy is that it is, it is something... Um, this makes sense to me. The Scripture doesn't spell it out this clearly, but it seems to me to hint at it. Um, that it is something that God spontaneously brings to mind. So that, you know, just, just thinking, you know, we probably all experience this. I mean, you think just in practical terms, somebody says, you know, I think it, it, it seems like the Lord has, has uh, told me to tell you this, thus and so, or I feel led of the Lord. You know, people say it different ways, but I feel led of the Lord to, you know, give you this five dollars or whatever it is. Um, they, they do something or they share some truth. You know, God, I was praying this morning, I was meditating, and it just seemed like the Lord said to me thus and so, and they, sh- and they want to share it. I think that's the idea that is being talked about here with prophecy. And so, in verse 29, when Paul's giving instructions concerning it, he, he says that it must be judged. It, it doesn't carry the weight of Old Testament prophecy or of the word of the apostles, for example, in the New Testament. It's, it's different in that sense. I mean, we, we don't have examples of that in the Old Testament where, you know, we have instructions, you know, let, let Isaiah speak and then the rest of you judge it, weigh it out. No, 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 no. <laughs> when Isaiah spoke and said, Thus saith the Lord, everybody just better line up. When Jeremiah spoke, everybody just better line up. There wasn't any judging it discerning, is this the Lord? And they clearly stated, thus saith the Lord. But here, 
The congregation is being instructed to judge what the prophets say. So, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. He may, he may mean the whole congregation when he says others. He may mean the other prophets. Um, it's difficult to tell, but at any rate, the word that is going forth, what is being spoken, is being judged. It is not considered inerrant. Inherently inerrant. So that's a distinction, you know, we definitely want to make. The writings, the, 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 the writings of the apostles that, that we hold in our hands, inerrant Word of God. We don't discern it in the sense of, um, okay, I'm going to read Galatians 3 and let me think about it and see if that's really true or not. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. We just need to line up. I'm going to read Corinthians 14 and, and then try to decide if that's true. No, it's true. This is different. He's saying it must be judged. It must be weighed. So, um, he says, let the others weigh what is said. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another uh, sitting there, in other words, remember he's already said, you let the prophet speak two or, uh, or three at the most. And so while one is speaking is the idea here, if a revelation is made to another, you see where the idea of a spontaneous um, God imparting some, something spontaneously comes from. Because for one thing, Paul says it must be judged. Uh, for another thing here, he says, verse 30, if a revelation is made to another, sitting, sitting there. So while one speaking, revelation is made to another, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And again, that's, that's the goal. Everybody learns, everybody's encouraged, everybody's edified. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So Paul's saying, you Corinthians, you can control this. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. If you're out of control, then something's wrong. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. What, what God is doing, when, when, when the manifestation of, of, of manifestations of God are at work, it is for the edification of the whole body. And Paul is saying that should be our goal as well. So let everything be done decently and in order. Um, there should not be confusion. Everything is to be peaceful. It is all for the sake of edification of the whole body. Body. I'm going to stop there for tonight, but I want to. I want to before we um, take the Lord's Supper. Any, any questions? Because I know this is this is a, we've we covered a lot of ground in these last few weeks in these chapters, and some of it we've just kind of. Um, I don't know. It may seem like we spent a lot of time, but believe me, we we barely touched the surface. Um, any any comments or questions on on any of this? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. She's asking. You know, someone speaking in a tongue. She's asking about interpretation. Could it be the person that's that's speaking in in a tongue, or or somebody else in the assembly? He says, "Pray, pray for the power to interpret." So it could be the same person, right?
That's, that's my, like I say, we, we, we weren't in Corinth and we don't know everything that was going on, but that's, that's the way it seems to me um, that Paul is saying here. In fact, he, again, he tells them that that is absolutely necessary for that gift in the assembly. It has to be an ter- interpretation. And I've, and I've never, you know, we were involved in, in charismatic circles for a long time, pretty good, pretty good while. And I, I never saw that applied. Not one time. They, they had a way of applying it, but I, but I mean, it, was, uh, it didn't make sense to me. Um, huh? Well, they, they you know, you, the way they would do it is, is um, in the case of tongues, they would just do it and then wait for interpretation. And if there was no interpretation, then they would say, well, you know what, that was not of God. Well, it's kind of late then because it already took place. And, and Paul says, if there's no interpreter, keep silent. How do you know there's Ask. <laughs> That's a great, great question, though. And, and I think their answer would be, well, you don't know. But it, my answer is, Paul seems to imply you can know. In other words, if somebody has to get the tongues... Then either that same person or somebody else can have the gift of interpretation. Um, and, and he says, "Pray for the power to interpret." So I, I think he's saying he would know. Um, there's a lot of debate over that. A lot of different ideas on that. My, my, uh, I, I don't think it's. I don't think he's talking about known languages. No, I don't. But I wouldn't call it gibberish either, because if it's a manifestation of the Spirit, then um, that's the work of God. Well, I mean, but we were just hearing it. Nobody don't understand. I think that's the case, and partly because of what he says in verse two. Um, you're not when, when a person <coughs> is operating in that manifestation of the Spirit, they're not speaking to men; speaking to God. Speaking to God. Now you had this idea today again, I, and I well, let me just say it this way: you had this idea again today in the charismatic circles that you know somebody would stand up and give a message in tongues, and so then somebody would interpret. But but Paul doesn't even talk that way here. You know, he doesn't talk about giving a message for the congregation in tongues. He says that when it's speaking to God. But now, if you're going to speak to God, in an unknown language, in the assembly, somebody has to interpret. But I think he's talking about prayer. Not, not a, uh, I mean, that seems to be the case. Not a, not a message for the congregation. Um, Say, so, well, then why, why would anybody benefit from, even, even with interpretation? Well, we, we do that all the time in English, don't we? I mean, I hear other people pray and I benefit from it. They're not talking to me. They're talking to God. But it is edifying. When you, when you hear somebody that knows the Lord pray... It is edifying. It is edifying. My office thing didn't cost a lady, and she showed me a video of her at the church. Yeah. I didn't really understand exactly what was going on, really, but she, they were all standing around in the circle. There was music playing. They were, I wouldn't even call it dancing, mm-hmm. but they were talking about 
she said, well, this one girl right here, she's fixing to be, um, and I don't think she said say, she said she's about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. And when she did, she began speaking in tongues. And she said, and that's how you know that they, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit because they speak in tongues. But I got the impression she was saying they have to speak in tongues yeah. for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they don't really, she, she never had to call it being saved to me. She's always said, Filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they like to use the King James. They fell on the floor and it was really, um, I mean, they were just sweating. It was very active. Very active. She was very much excited that I was watching that for her, you know, like seeing this mm-hmm. other girl, she was filled with all the Spirit too, and she showed me. And these were young girls. Mm-hmm. And they spoke in tongues, and they were like, one of them was 15, one of them was like 12. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I, I just was thinking, so they undoubtedly believe that you have to speak in tongues. To be yes, some, some of them do, yeah, that's right. Right. The, the United Pentecostals, I'm assuming she's United Pentecostal, but United Pentecostals do teach that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Because, like Bob said, that's the evidence. In, in their mind, they're saying that's, that's the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Of course, we'd all agree that you don't. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved, right? But but I don't think tongues is the evidence, and I don't think that the Bible teaches that. I, I mean, it was an evidence that's you know. And sometimes you go you go to Acts eight, you go to Acts nineteen, um, and it is a evidence in in Acts two in those situations. But um, you never there, there's not a place in in the didactic writings. You know, where, where you take like Romans, for example. By didactic, I mean it's intended for teaching. It's not just a historical account. You know, there, you, Acts is history. It's all true. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But, I'm, but, but what Luke is doing in Acts is telling us what happened. He's not saying, okay, here's the ABCs of how to be saved, right? But that is what Paul is doing in Romans. He's saying, here's what's necessary for salvation. You know, it's a kind of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ kind of message, and you'll be saved. He he never talks about you got to have the evidence of speaking in tongues. So so they take instances where you know that happened, like in Acts two, Acts eight, Acts nineteen, and and they make that the rule. This is what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you're saved. But you know, and we just saw in Corinthians 12, by the way, that Paul Paul says that they're all saved. They're all they've all been baptized in the Spirit, um, and yet he also says that not all speak in tongues in that same chapter. So um, they're they're wrong, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. You you obey the word. Um, look look at what Paul says. They don't speak. But how would they know if they're going to be in 
Ask. And, and up, it, I mean, it, either they either they know themselves, which which I've never seen this happen. But uh, I mean, I've never seen somebody say, "I'm, I'm going to give." I'm going to say something in tongues. I don't recall ever seeing this happen. Let me say it that way. I don't recall ever seeing this happen. Somebody says, I'm going to speak in tongues and I'm going to interpret. It was, at least most of the time when we experienced that, it was two different people. So they didn't know. It was the very circumstance you're describing. So what Paul is saying is, then it shouldn't happen. I have heard people speak in tongues but nobody said, you know, nobody would talk. Because you get in a service when that happened, where someone was speaking, they didn't have Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Regularly, yeah. I think I think you're right. Look um, again. He says, in verse 32: the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, that's the rule. Now, down in um, in verse 37, look at verse 37. If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. Paul's not giving any ground on this. He's saying, look. No interpretation, no tongues. And you can do this because the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Not going to be any, you know, loss of control. God doesn't operate that way. And he goes on to say, if you think you're a prophet or spiritual, then you will acknowledge that what I'm telling you is the command of the Lord. So. It's just a wrong practice, and I'm not saying that they're not saved because they do that or anything like that, but it's a wrong practice. It's wrong. Yeah. Would it make sense to think that if um, God wouldn't lead you to be in time or prophesy if it wasn't, I mean, let me see if I can say this right. If it's a spiritual gift, it's Operation Holy Spirit through you, then you would not be urged, still urged upon to speak in tongues if there's not an interpreter. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is, there, is it possible that... Well, he doesn't seem to speak that way. Like, like I say, he says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. He, he seems to, to be saying that, um, that you may have the urge, but you keep it in check. Um, so... You know, um, and if you if you think that you, you may be you you may think of all kinds of things to say to somebody, or or, or you know, like you may be talking with somebody about a situation, and all kinds of things come to mind. But you don't necessarily just say everything on your mind because you think, well, you know, I want to minister to them in the most effective way. God lead, lead me in what I should say and what I shouldn't say. Although everything you're thinking may be correct. And, and maybe things that you wouldn't even understand if it weren't for God enlightening you. But that doesn't mean it's just uh, okay to open the floodgate and, and you know, bombard them, right? So it would be the same way, I think, with the this, with this spiritual gifts, you know. You can see church one time. One time. Hmm. A long time before I learned better. And you couldn't, un- you couldn't get a preacher. 
Yeah. Yeah, and let me say this too, with, with the UPC, with the United Pentecostal Church, I mean, let's make it, because the term Pentecostal is like a, an umbrella. I mean, there are a lot of groups that fall under the term Pentecostal. You know, Charismatics, Assembly of God, Church of God. I mean, there are a lot of groups that, come, that use that term Pentecostal. Um, and a lot of them are orthodox. I mean, they believe the truth, you know, about uh, God and, and so forth. United Pentecostal is a different animal. They, they reject the Trinity, all right? So, I mean, we're not even talking about the, the... When we speak of the nature of the Godhead, we're not talking about the same. Uh, so, I mean, the United Pentecostal is a different animal. They, they got far more serious problems than the way that they, uh, you know, exercise speaking in tongues. So, uh, so, first of all, I don't want to be understood as saying that every... You know, everybody out there that claims to be speaking in tongues is, is actually doing so. Don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm dealing with this as a reality because it is in the Scripture, and that's the way Paul dealt with it. It's, 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 it's a genuine manifestation of the Spirit. That doesn't mean that everybody that claims to be doing it is really doing it. I mean, it's, this is this, you know, what Jesus is describing in Matthew 7. They came and said, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? No. So he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, they claim to do all kinds of things that were bogus. Um, so, so don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everybody out there that claims to be doing these things are actually doing them. Um, but the ones who are, these guidelines apply. And again, with the, with the United Pentecostal Church, they've got far more serious problems. Um, they, they, you know, I, I could not um, fellowship with them in any meaningful way, participate with them in anything in any meaningful way, um, you know, Christian-oriented. Um, and it's not because they speak in tongues or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's because they, they've got some serious defects in understanding the gospel. I had one guy bring me a tape of this pastor. I can't remember his name. It, it is a huge church in Alexandria, the Pentecostals of Alexandria. So they're very highly esteemed among those circles. It's huge. It's big. But uh, the guy was blatantly preaching salvation by works um, in, in this sermon that was brought to me. Um, so, I mean, they, they, you know, and then like I say, they reject the Trinity. Uh, so, I mean, they're far more, if you're speaking specifically about the United Pentecostal Church, they've got far more serious problems. Um, so, um, anyway, just wanted to point that out. So I, I don't even think of them in the same way that I do, say, the Charismatics or the Assemblies of God uh, or something like that. So. How, would, how would you handle it if somebody came to you and said, I have something to share and you know there's an interpreter? Oh, I've had that happen, yeah. Um, and, oh, in tongues, you mean? Yeah. Um, and I have an interpreter. Well, go for it. Oh, I mean, okay. Paul. Oh, oh, oh. So if somebody approaches you as a pastor of this church and says, I have something to share, or I've got something to present to the church, but I need another interpreter, what would you do? 
Well, I guess I, I guess I would deal with it when I got there. In all honesty, <laughs> really, really, that's not a, that's not an easy. I'm just being honest. That's not an easy thing to answer. But um, but I will say this, you know, and, and I've seen that done many, many times in the charismatic church. People say, you know, they're going to give a word in tongues and somebody's going to interpret. I've seen that done many times. Um, Paul doesn't appear to even have that in mind here. Like I say, he, he, it seems like he's describing someone talking to God. So in other words, prayer. And he's saying, if you're going to do that in the assembly, then there must be an interpreter. So if somebody came up and said, you know, I've got a message for the church in tongues, that doesn't even fit what, doesn't even seem to me to fit what Paul is even talking about here. So I would probably have a problem with that. Um, huh? Yeah, yeah, in English, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew a guy one time. Now I'm not saying this was genuine. I'm just saying this is what he claimed. I knew a guy one time that claimed to have the gift of interpretation. All right, that's how rare. <laughs> I knew of one guy that claimed to have that. All right. So, but it does seem to me that that's kind of what Paul has in mind here. So I don't. I think you're right. It, it, it wouldn't be that. You know, it's. it's it, the person with the gift of tongues would be known, the, the person with the gift of interpretation would be known, or it would be known that that person had the gift of interpretation. I, I, th I think you're right. It's, it's, it's hard to know exactly how to apply it, but it does seem to me that it's, it's, it's a little more planned than uh, what people commonly do today. Because, because you have to have a way to stop it. Because Paul says don't let it happen if there's not an interpreter. So you have to have a way to shut it down. And how can you do that if you don't even know if they, if they all of a sudden just jump up and speak? You, know, you, you, you can't stop it. So, yeah, it seems to me like it's a little more organized than, than a lot of what you see today. Anything else? Where is it, where is it where it says as for prophecy, there is no more prophecy? Where is that? You know what I'm talking about? Well, you might be thinking of back in chapter 13. It says that prophecy will cease. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's there's prophets all through the. I mean, you know, they're in the New Testament, and there's no no place says that they're done away. Um, chapter 13, verse 10 looks forward to that. says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So verse 8 says, prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues will cease and knowledge will pass away. But yeah, there's no place that, um, that says, you know, that, that has happened. And that which is perfect has come, we won't need, right, we won't need partial knowledge or prophecy that has to be judged, or anything of that nature. We'll, we'll, we'll be face to face with the Lord. Yeah.
Amen. Brothers, if y'all will come and prepare, um, I'm going to read again from uh, this this book, First Corinthians, chapter eleven. Um, we uh, do practice, you know, what many call a, an open uh, table here, which just means that you don't have to be a member of this church. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can partake of this supper with us, regardless of whether you're a member of this church. But, uh, you know, there, there is, I, I do want to give strong warning, because the Scripture does, that um, it is only for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, so so not, not for anybody that's not saved, not for unbelievers. And that's what Paul is going to say here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup of the, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and And then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this supper, Lord, that You've instituted and given to us to commemorate Your sacrifice for us. We ask now for Your blessing upon the bread and upon the juice and upon our own hearts and minds as we partake, Lord, please help us to do what You've instructed us to do here, to, to partake in remembrance of You because we, we are showing the Lord's death till He comes. Again, we thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Go ahead. If you would, everybody hold the bread and the juice until everyone is served. We'll eat and drink together. <laughs>